Hi, everyone, and welcome to Top Stock, Episode 7, and we thank you for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Burge. A few weeks ago, I was able to sit down with one of the most influential sports broadcasters the world has these days, and he goes by the name of Keith Olbermann. But Keith is also known for another passion of his, one that holds his interest very blatantly, card collecting. Since he was a child, his interest in cards became all-consuming, which inadvertently angled him toward becoming a household name and presence for those of us who turned on SportsCenter every night. In this episode, we discuss that unique journey of his and much, much more. Without further ado, part one of my two-part interview with Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann, thank you so much for being a part of this. My pleasure. Thank you for free cards. <laughs> well, we are opening up 2015 Topps Archives Baseball. And there's a reason why I wanted to open this with you, Keith, and that's because this set has 1957 design in it. And as you know very well, 1957 was a very important year in Topps' history. Explain to those listening why. That was when they got truly professional about the whole project and also decided that the card should be the size of essentially the size of a squared playing card. They adopted the two and a half by three and a half format, which had been used a couple of times in baseball card history. But principally that's the that's that's the start of it and it became the universal measure for baseball cards, in addition to the fact that fifty seven was the was the uh, the year in which the first time Tops tried to make a card of every player and the first time that the photographs had been taken by a guy with the specific purpose of going to the field at Yankee Stadium, Ebbets Field, or Polo Grounds here in New York to photograph the players. Previously, almost all the photos are colorized black and white headshots distributed by the teams or wire service photos that have been very well colorized, but they're not color photographs for the most part. 57 is the year where all the elements of what we consider modern baseball cards started in that top set. It's also beautiful design, and there's all the legendary names like Clemente and Koufax and guys like that are in that set and Mantle and the rest like that. Exactly. So. Well, as he finishes the description, mm -hmm. we are opening up the first pack. Uh, and get. what do you know? In the 57 design, there is my first card of the box, the Madison Bumgarner card. And he, of course, I, uh, was were his parents even alive in 1957? Because <laughs> I'm 1959. I wasn't even alive in 1957. Well, I got right here. I got Dylan Patances in the yes. 1957. So his grandfather might not have been alive probably, in 1957. Probably Holy just cow. pitching that. And yeah. now, as we're finishing up this first pack here, mm -hmm. I have right here an original 1957, and that is of Bob There's Clemente. Bob Clemente. Look at that. Which Topps called him without fear or reprisal right through his 1969 card even though his name was Roberto of course. but that's yeah that's the the uh, the third Clemente card uh, and just an epic the photography in the 57 set is fantastic uh, particularly given that nobody knew what they were doing exactly and the card design is simple and like the 1967 set uh, it's almost all photograph with just a little bit of graphics on it, just enough to make it look like something other than a, a reproduced photograph. And they're, they're, it's a wonderful set. Um, I got my 57 set completed when I was 
13. Yeah, I bought I bought a set from a dealer when I was 13. It was missing a couple of cards, and I, I managed to fill in the, the last few when I was 13 years old. So I only have the two. I have a set and a backup set in case my building burns down. <laughs> so, Off campus, apparently. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Yeah. You know, when you look at this design, mm -hmm. like so simplistic, is that, is that a design that you as a collector prefer, a simplistic design? Yeah, I, I, there are very few of the, of the card sets over the years um, that I actively dislike. And many of them have grown on me over the years. Uh, 57, though, is just, it's a natural because it's a starting point. And for the next few years, they were trying to evoke elements of this card and without great success. I mean, various things that, that just didn't live up to this. But I, I also like the 75s with the, you know, psychedelic garish color combinations. A good purple and brown mix is always <laughs> always a lovely color pattern. That but becomes yeah, the, like mauve, I yeah, think. Yeah, the 57s are, the 57s are a, a priceless design. And, I, you know, it, the, the proof is in the, is in the reprint pudding because the number of times the company has gone back to cards that look like 57s um, you know, just every year there is, there's something and there's always a demand for it. And it's just, it's simple yet it's, it, it's, it's subtly, uh, artistic and it works for action shots and it works for extreme close-up shots like Dylan Bundy over here. So another design yeah. that is honored in this set is of 1976. Mm -hmm. And so here's a, a... An example of that, yep. I'm showing Mr. Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson. And the other that is shown in this set is of the 1983. Yeah. Yep. The circular portrait on the bottom left. A couple of years, it's 83 and 84, where there were attempt, there were two photos were used on each card, which was an attempt to stave off competition, because mm. that was the, it was the end of the Monopoly era. Explain how trading cards, collecting, helped shape your career? Started it. Uh, I had a passing interest in sports. I know I saw most of the 1966 World Series. It was familiar to me. But, but when I was eight years old, in 67, I went to a birthday party at the beginning of May for a kid named Wolfgang Levson. Wolfgang was from, as the name suggests, was literally born in Germany and he was a good guy, and his mother, to make everything more American at the birthday party, gave out his party favors 10-cent packs of Topps cards. Wow. That year, the insert, uh, the little free bonus besides your 10 cards in there, were, was, a, was a miniature poster that folded over and was four times the size of an average card. And everybody was looking at them, and they were kind of neat, and it was a surprise. And, and I and it was like, I had, you know, it's, it's base. I know what these are, but I collected the Batman cards and, this, and the Beatles cards, and it's like these were only baseball cards. My pack did not have a poster. Ooh. And I was offended by this. Oh, boy. And the cards were like, well, I like these, and it's interesting stuff on the back. I'll read these later. But I think either that day or the next day, I took one of the rare dimes that I saw at, at the age of eight and went to Bill's Luncheonette up on the corner in Hastings-on-Hudson, New York, and bought a pack of cards for 10 cents. And by the second pack, I was hooked. By the end of the week, I knew everything there was to know about the Yankees. From the backs of the cards, I learned geography, some math, a lot of baseball history. I did remember, recall asking my father early on, did the Dodgers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, did they play in 
Brooklyn at some point <laughs> because you could you could infer that much from a pack of baseball cards. Wow. Within a month of that, we were at my first major league game at Yankee Stadium. And within a month of that, I realized I did not have the hand-to-eye coordination to be a player, never would. And therefore, my next best option was to become an umpire. And then I thought, no, everybody hates the umpires. <laughs> and then I thought, well, you know, they I've been, I immediately started to listen to the Yankee games on radio and watch them on TV. And I it's like, there's something. I like the, the broadcast is far better than the ball club was. The Yankees had been last place in 66 and I think next to last in 67. And I began to listen to the games. I said, that's what I want to do. So at eight years old, I made my career choice. And it originates, the starting point of this is that the pack of cards that Wolfgang Levson's mother, Mrs. Levson, gave me at the birthday, one she picked at random, did not have the insert poster. Had it had the insert poster, and I just sort of went... Well, yeah, okay, this is nice. I could be an archaeologist today or something. Wow. Yeah. See, that's destiny. That's, that I is believe, absolute yes. destiny. Yes. Or, or it underscores the total randomness of the universe. Either exactly. One, whichever you prefer to describe. Of course. There you go. <laughs> and what's, what's funny, at least to me, is that you, know, you got that opportunity to mm-hmm. stretch your, your vocal cords on the air in New York and with a future partner of yours, with Chris Berman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to high school with Chris Berman. And this is like, I don't want to make any undue comparisons, but this is essentially like as if two prominent NFL quarterbacks had been found in three graduating classes at some small prep school somewhere. In New York. <laughs> in the suburbs of New York. Yes. I mean, this to this day, this school produces like 70 graduates a year. In 1972-73, in the 72-73 academic year, I was Chris Berman's, he was the sports editor of the newspaper. I was the deputy sports editor. I was his, his assistant. He was the sports editor of the yearbook. I was his assistant. We had, a, we had a high school radio station. I was his assistant. He did the basketball games. I did the hockey games. We walked once up the hill back to the school from the gym, and he said, you and me, kid. Uh, NBA game of the week on ABC in, in 10 years. And we did our part. ABC lost the contract for the game of the week. But that's, yeah, we, we both literally had career aspirations. And I have known him for 44 years. I knew him when he and I were, a, between us, we were a whole person lighter than we are now. <laughs> and he had hair down to his backside. Wow. And addressed girls with the word Hepnin. That was his form of address to try to pick up the girls in the school. So he sounded like that then. He did. He did. Oh, God. He hasn't changed a bit. The nickname thing, the (laughs) nickname thing was already in its nascent stages. Uh, he did. He would. He would write his articles. He never put his own byline on his articles in the sport, in the newspaper, the Hackley Dial. He would use, particularly on those teams he played on, like he was on the tennis team. So his articles about the tennis team would be by Illy Nastasi, or the basketball by Clifford Ray. And my mother, to her dying year, thirty-four years later, thirty-five years later, would every time she would see him. If we were on, uh, if I was visiting and the ESPN was on in the house and he was on or something, she'd go, 
that that sounds like that kid with that we I once gave the lift to from Yankee Stadium, but it doesn't look anything like him. And I said, <laughs> yes, mom, that's correct. Oh, you can do an impression of him. I went. We all do impressions of him, mom. And he believes that we're all doing impressions of him on the air too, and we're stealing his act and all that. No, I've known Chris for a long, long, long time, and we've worked together um, off and on since 1971. Which is pretty amazing, and yes. I, know, I sensed a pattern of uh, always the deputy, never the chief uh, for you. Well, no, but yes, him. nobody, well, there's never been a, ch- a chief besides Chris. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's, just, that's just it. I, I would like to say that I mean, people make, make take take liberties with Chris's reputation. Given where ESPN was when it came to prominence and he came to prominence, the the guy he could have been, the egomaniac he could have become, it would have been Godzilla-like in size, shape, and destructive po- uh, power. And in fact, the worst you can say about Chris, really, in terms of of, of him as a as a celebrity sportscaster, is that he's always made time to go to the uh, to the uh, airport early. So that when he gets recognized, he he will be able to sign autographs, and take pictures with everybody, and that's I worked with them all. The 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 monster he could have become, he he only became one percent of that monster. So I think he deserves the public's thanks for not becoming, you know, guys I won't mention. When he went into ESPN, I was working at CNN in its early days. So we were also pioneers in cable sports. That's when CNN had a nightly sports cast. Mm. So we would you know, find ourselves in competition. And for a while, we had the same agent in the 80s. So my life is intertwined with his. So it's, 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 a, it's a nice thing, all things considered. Indeed, and it is amazing that you guys are, like you said, intertwined. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually can't help but feel like a tiny bit as well, only because I went to Riverdale. Oh. And you could hear by his reaction. Yeah. He knows what that is. Mm-hmm. It's, it, was, I was, it was the high school in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's yeah. one of those other schools. Yeah, uh-huh. it's I like, played it, against Tylee off, and I pitched against them. Well, actually, it's like, it like good. Pe- I was pretty good. Pedro Alvarez. Uh, went, I faced Pedro. Pedro Alvarez went to Horace Mann. Mm-hmm. And when I found that up, he was just just a, a call-up at that point. And I, and I went and saw and met him. And I said, uh, I said, so you, you actually went to Horace Mann? He went, yeah. I said, I'm from Hackley. <laughs> and we stared at each other a couple of seconds like, we're going to have a knife fight here now? Right. Because it's just, it, it's, it's the only part of that education that's a little, that pretends to be street tough. Of course. We're di- we're, we are dilettantes. If it was 400 years ago, we'd all have been wearing makeup <laughs> and having little doilies in our sleeves going, oh, dear, I'm not sure if I can finish this chemistry examination. We would have done that. <laughs> Except when it relates to other schools in yeah. this in the Fairchester League, as it was once known, Fairfield County and Westchester. Mm. And so Pedro and I took measure of each other, and I had said, so you actually, I went to Hackley. And he paused, and we did this, and then he went, sorry. <laughs> and I went, okay. I said, we'll see what happens to you the next time I get your highlights. Exactly. If there are any. Oh, oh boy. burn. Oh, Drop boy. the mic. And oh, right. boy. So, yeah. Well, I faced Pedro yeah. uh, when I when I pitched for Riverdale, mm-hmm. and I was a sophomore, and he was a senior, and there <laughs> were just a there were there, hundreds of people. There, there were people outside. there to see him. People there to actually yeah, see he him. Was, yes, he was. He had every hitting record in the book of the Ivy leagues because the Ivy prep leagues. Because right. let's be honest, no one could touch this kid, and 
I was scared for my life. Yeah. Because I'm standing there 60 feet, six inches away from a guy who should be using probably a wooden bat <laughs> with a metal <laughs> oh, bat. Right. You know, oh. A little 14 year old wow. who's standing on the mound with his parents, wow. with his parents in the stands. And next to them are the Detroit Tigers scout and right. the Red Sox scout. Yes. And I'm standing there and I, I strike him out. Wow. And I, it's like the highlight of my baseball life. 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 No yes, life. No, my life. It's your I life. Was say, it's, you're not going to top that. I, I really, I can't. Even yeah. with baseball cards yeah. in my hand now, and I work for this company, I can't literally there top was, it. I can't remember if it was Riverdale. I, I was on the JV team at Hackley one year, and I was sort of a manager and, you know, outfielder and played in the B games. I was never, I, I, I had mm. power, but I had no contact ability and no fielding ability. And either it was Riverdale or another school that played its JV games on a corner of the football field. So that left field was 150 feet from the plate. Wow. And <laughs> right field was 1,250 feet from the plate. <laughs> and guess what? There weren't a lot of left-handed hitters. Probably not. And my coach stuck me in left field, and there was a terrace behind the field, mm. behind the left field fence that was 150-some-odd feet from the plate. And behind that was this terrace, and if you hit the ball on the fly in the terrace, it was only a ground rule double. If you hit it beyond the terrace, which was full of trees and shrubs, that was a home run. But the ball could also, if it bounced, it was still in play. Oh, gosh. So the left fielder, me, <laughs> had to climb this small little wall and go and play. And I was like, seriously? And he said, we're going to have everybody's going to play like an inning out there. The final score was 36 to 25. Oh, boy. I even I, I, I got to bat. I got hit in the backside with a pitch, my only at bat. So I led the nation in on-base percentage. Very good. Year, you know, Very that's, good. That's my career there. But I, <laughs> in my nightmares, it is an, an eternal game of playing at one of these schools. I think, I think it may have been at Riverdale. Yeah, I think it was, too. If, yeah. if they played on the football field, yeah, then I think it, that's was, what it was. you hit the nail on the head. There was some concrete involved, too, along right, the side. Right. But, it was, but, it was, but it was a sloping upwards from what would be the left field corner. It yes. sloped upwards. Oh, my God. You are picturing the correct oh field. God, that's what it was, Riverdale. Thanks for telling <laughs> me about that. That's yeah. my career. Talk about not being the highlight of my life. Oh, look, I got a Harry Truman card. Ah. I got a card of Harry Truman. See, now, I don't want to complain here, but the inset photo of President Truman is the same as the main photo. Mm, This is, as a guy who made his own baseball cards from age eight, uh, this is, come on, Mm. no. Somebody, somebody. somebody, He's looking very stoic, of course, at the, the whatever... The, 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 at the quote-unquote camera. Official, but. It may be his official portrait. <laughs> I think it but is. it's the same. It's it's like... Hard to find other Truman photos, I guess, that look no, that I regal. No, I don't I mean, this is, he wasn't president before the Civil War. <laughs> he was alive until like 1972. There could be a color photograph of him. It's true. Now, all right. We're, yeah. we're just, well, speaking of politics, you had your your fair share of time in that. And did that does that occupy the same part of your brain of, of being a fan of sports and... and Obviously, competition and there, there's a lot. There's there's strange similarities between the two fields, but also obviously plenty of differences. It's uh, it's it's an interesting world because if say you're playing left field at Riverdale and it's 150 feet away and the ball bounces over your head repeatedly and you lose the game 36 to 25, mm-hmm. you can't come away from that going no no we actually won. 
in politics, people who have lost those games, 36 to 25, with a barrage of uh, ground rule doubles that are you know hit over the left fielder's head and he has to go climb up into the bushes to get it, some people who got 25 will say they won. And that's the fundamental difference. And that's one of the reasons that people who go from covering sports go to, go to cover politics tend to do well because they will not put up with this and they will say, no, you got 25, the other guy got 36, you lose. I understand that it's certain three-quarters votes in the Senate. That's not necessarily true. And the minority can still prevail because they didn't get to a certain margin of victory. But then that's that. Then you're scoring a ping pong game. You got to win by two or a tennis match. You got to win by two. Uh, so that this is to me what the the main difference is. You can argue whether or not those facts that are demonstrably true are uh, subjectively true. Which, again, a sportscaster going into that scenario can simply respond with an agonized no, and people go, "He's taking a stand there. He's a really insightful commentator." No. <laughs> Two plus two equals four. We can argue what four of what and what they mean, but it's four. And this is, right. you know, a fundament that you learn from baseball cards. And Exactly. And so along with baseball and baseball cards, they get advanced statistics on the back. Yeah. A man like, let's say, Nate Silver, he... And that brand, now 538, mm-hmm. I mean, they go very deep into the numbers. Whether people want to like, admit it or not, there are numbers now that weren't focused on, I suppose, beforehand. And, I mean, in, in the election in 2012, I mean, he almost predicted everything exactly. I, uh, yes, right. yes. And so, I mean, how, where do you see the correlation with that? Where, like, advanced statistics and, well, and baseball uh, politics? It, it's, we were talking here. The reason I'm in tops at the moment is we're, we're preparing – um, I'm consulting, and I've been an unofficial consultant to this company for like 15 years. We're working on the 2016 archive set to make it look as much like the original design of the 1967, or the heritage set, I should say, uh, to make it really look like the 67 cards on which the set will be based. And I brought in a set and cons- you know, just went through a set of an, and an album with post-its. Like, look at this. This is a variation you don't know about. Look at this. This is a stylistic change from the first series to the second series. And um, one of the things I, I was pointing out was that in the later series of the last series of the 1967 Topps baseball cards, there are photographs taken on the opening week of the 1967 season that appeared on baseball cards that were available to me by July, end of July, beginning of August that this was state-of-the-art rapidity and instantaneous communication in 1967. A photograph taken in April was in my hands in August. This was lightning speed, and still to this day, I look at that as if the photograph were had been taken, was still as if the ink was still wet on the card. So that's the mindset of where we were. I was around for the founding of, of the Society for American Baseball Research and did not join till 1984, but... If I'd wanted it, it's like $5 to get in in 1973. Like I'd rather spend it on 500 baseball cards. So I didn't join, but I could have, and I bought the Society for American Baseball Research Journal, and the big stat, the super crazy stat we were pushing was called on-base percentage. Sabre's first sabermetric stat is OBP. Because that wasn't to be found anywhere. Sure. That didn't show up in official statistics until the late 70s or early 80s. So the advancement of numbers, um, which, is, which always occurred throughout baseball history, led Nate 
And in fact, I was one of the first people who put him on the air to talk about anything besides sports. Nate said uh, we were talking about uh, we were talking about baseball and numbers and the new numbers of the of the uh, of a, about a decade ago. He said, you know, we have there are some numbers in politics that that can also be used this way. And I went, when can you come on the show, please? <laughs> and he came out with these sort of averages of polls and not he wasn't looking at you know numerical results and voting trends which were fairly well analyzed he was looking at what the polls meant and how an average of the polls in April before the election usually told you what was going to happen in the election and just data producing its own results or being an indicator of its own results so you know that was the first instance that some of this stuff is predictable by by statistics just as so much of baseball or any other sport is predictable by there's so much data from the past that we now know what a 27-year-old shortstop playing uh, in a ballpark that's kind of roomy and has a good triples alley, what he's likely to do in his 28th year season based on what he did in 27, 26, 25, 24, and also based on what Hannes Wagner did in 1898. And, you know, there are things about this election that Nate can determine that they're based on polling data that uh, preceded the election of Calvin Coolidge. So, you know, the more data you have and the more you understand that it is in some way predictive, the better. I mean, I've I've been an advocate for new stats since we were trying to get on-base percentage years. Thanks for listening to Tops Talk, and we hope you hear us again soon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Tops Talk. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at topstalk at tops.com. Special thanks goes out to Clay Lorasky and Leanne Minutoli, and, of course, Keith Eldred. Be sure to tune in next week on October 27th for Part 2 of my interview with Keith Olbermann. This has been Episode 7 of Tops Talk.